The following is a presentation of the New York Presbyterian Hudson Valley Hospital Center, a better place to get better. Welcome to the Health and Happiness Show with Casey, a weekly presentation with guests, ideas, information, and fun designed to improve your life from 100.7 WHUD. Hi, it's Casey. Ah, today, one of my favorite topics, helping children and choosing children as our family. Growing up, it ain't easy, and we are lucky the world is full of good people who are giving children a roadmap, a hand to hold, a shoulder to lean on, and today you're going to meet two of them. First, an Academy Award-winning cinematographer and documentarian, Martina Rodwan. She's won Emmys and Golden Hugos, and she's going to educate me on several levels, including what she calls the responsibility of the well-meaning helper. But primarily, I want to tell the world about a film she is directing now, her own documentary, about saving some manhole children in Mongolia. Martina was in one of the coldest places on earth, working on another film, and she met a child, an orphan, who lived under the street to keep warm. This child and a few others have become Martina's family now. A remarkable story, and we need to help get that film made. If you have your laptop open, or if you're listening to this online, open the window to lion-cub.com, and you'll see the pictures that tell the story of these children. The Roar of the Lion Cub is the film directed by Martina Radwan. Her name came to me in an email press release sent to many media outlets, and I recognized the name of the sender as an old boyfriend. We'll tell that story, too. First, educate me, Martina. Many of us only hear of documentaries during the Academy Awards, and when I click on HBO, they offer documentaries. But where else should we be looking for you and your work? Well, you know, documentary has become quite popular lately. I mean, you know, the obvious outlet is always PBS. There are a lot of independent documentaries on PBS that, you know, and it's a the perfect home for, for independent documentaries. And then, yeah, HBO, Showtime has a lot of documentaries. In recent years, you ought to see a lot of documentaries back in the theaters, mm. which is really nice. Oh, they are coming back to the theaters. Yes. I would like to see more of that. In my tiny county of Putnam, I haven't seen a lot of documentaries in the theater. Well, maybe we can change that somehow. I'm not even sure we have a movie theater in Putnam. I'm going to have to check them. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you have done all kinds of films, even Academy Award winning films, yes? Yes. Yes. Obviously, not, not, you know, it's a teamwork. It's always a teamwork. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't just me. But back in 2004, you had the best short documentary uh, for fairy tales. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That was directed by Katja Esson. Um, it took entirely, or, you know, most of it took place on the Staten Island Ferry, uh, describing the, the powder room on the Staten Island Ferry, where the women who lived in Staten Island, they would come on onto the ferry in their pajamas and then made themselves up to be, you know, the Manhattanites and would go to work. It's basically the story of Working Girl. I don't know if you know that film. Oh, please. I could act the whole film out and do the score for you. I love that. So you say the powder room, they come on in their pajamas and they and they make themselves up in the powder room of the ferry? Pretty much, yeah. It's amazing. They roll out of bed, you know, bring their kids to school and so forth, you know, what, what women do in the morning. And then uh, they they go to the ferry and make themselves, make themselves up. Okay, so here's it's, what I want to know, Martina Radwan. Whose idea was it to make this film? 
Katja Essence, the director. She, I think she happened to be by accident on the ferry and she, you know, ran into the podium and it doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately, but it was a really nice, very old fashioned like podium where you have like six chairs in a row in front of a big mirror. I mean, the ferry really catered to women who, you know, would go to, to Manhattan to, to, to work. Wow, wow. Things we never knew about. And and in your line of work, you just bring these things into the light, literally. As well, that's the beautiful part of being a documentary filmmaker. You, you get to see and interact with people that you otherwise would never meet. And what, of all the films you made, what is the one you'd like us most to see? If we were to take away from this interview, I'm going to find a Martina Radwan film. What one would you like us to look at? I do have to say, um, although it's it's not you know my greatest achievement in cinematography, but it's a very good movie and everybody should see it. And that is hot coffee. Hot coffee. Yes, because it's very important for people to be informed. And this is again, it's one of those things that nobody ever talks about. It's a, you know the erosion of the individual towards corporations. You know when you sign all the, all these contracts that you constantly sign, or like online when you hit agree, nobody ever reads that. Right. And, and and what is hot coffee about, that fast food situation? It's literally, I, do you remember the um, the case of the elderly lady who spilled coffee on her lap? Yeah, that's what I was referring to. It was like a McDonald's coffee or something, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, that, that case unfortunately became like the, the poster child of, for some people, um, it became the poster child of frivolous lawsuits, which is not true. If yeah. you really know the facts, you know it's not a frivolous lawsuit. Um, but that, again, that, you know, no, it's it's a the film uses that story as an example to show us as an individual how treated in 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 comparison with corporations that corporations in the current in the current landscape always win out corporations always win out all right got it got it hot coffee well we'll seek that out among others martina radwan is our guest and your website is martinaradwandp.com as in director of photography okay correct thank you it's great to get to know you it's great to uh, you know hop behind the camera with you but i understand you're working on a very special project right now Yes, I am. I'm working uh, on my first uh, documentary that I'm directing and producing. It's a film about uh, three children in Mongolia who I met on, on a shoot in 2008. And they were unfortunately on the wrong side of the fence. They were homeless and orphaned. So I you know, took it on to help them to get off the street and find foster family, get an education. And I am still involved and I we sort of have become a family, a happenstance family or global family, however you want to call it. Yeah, beautiful. What were you doing in Mongolia in 2008? What was that film? I was shooting for the UN about uh, men hold children and that was at the time was a big topic in Mongolia because Mongolia is the coldest country in the world besides Siberia. So when the, when the economy collapsed in the early 90s, a lot of children ended up on the streets, and because it's so cold, they seek refuge in the in the underground heating system of the city. So you, yes. I thought I heard you wrong, but you said manhole children. Exactly. That I mean, that's what they were called. You know, it's a little right. So they would go under the streets to stay warm. Yes. All right. it's a, you know, the, the city had a centralized heating system, so the, they would go on, you know, climb into the underground heating system pipes through the manhole, and that's why they were called manhole children. And while you were making this film, you came across three homeless children. I came across one in particular who I liked very much, or who I was very, I was very impressed by him. So I, I took it upon me to, you know, I went back 
tried to help him, did help him, found a foster family for him, set him up with livestock. And then I realized, you know, well, I, I was naive at the time. Of course, I, you know, you never know what you're getting into. Otherwise, you wouldn't do anything, I suppose. So I was naive and I thought this was easy. And then I started a whole organization to help homeless kids with the help of my friends. Um, and I kept going back and, and yeah, helping these kids. Wonderful. Uh, was there any language barrier with this first <laughs> young Mongolian boy? Well, I don't know if you can call it a barrier. I mean, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't communicate, obviously. I don't speak Mongolian. Uh, he doesn't speak English. He, he speaks English now, but he didn't speak English at the time. But somehow that didn't matter. It's like, you know, sometimes you just meet the right person and it's just like kids and you know it's the right person. Right. And now you're working on a film to tell the story of how you helped these kids in Mongolia. Well, prim- yes. Primarily, I'm, I'm trying to tell this, their story, but of course, also my story and what it means to get involved and that it's possible to get involved and that you can, you know, you can make a difference in other people's lives. But there's also, you know, a lot of responsibility. And again, I was naive. Yeah. So there's a lot of risk also. I'm not talking so much about my personal risk, but the risk of making mistakes and the risk of getting involved in a, in a, in a culture you don't really understand. And yeah, it's about the responsibility of the well-meaning helper right? as, as much as it is about the kids. And you never know how hard it's going to be and the bumps you're going to hit. And if you did, would you have done it anyway? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. All yeah. right. Now, I understand there's some campaign happening to, to help you finance something. You could still donate to my film with Women Make Movies. Okay. And if you donate there, it's actually tax deductible. Great. So so the website Women Make Movies, tell me about that. Women Make Movies is, a, is an organization and distribution company that uh, is primarily helping female directors and films that are about women or films that are about women made by women. And they are my fiscal sponsor, which means they have 501c3 tax exemption, right. Exactly. So um, they're my fiscal sponsor. They're tax exempt. So if you donate money to my project through Women Make Movies, it's a tax tax deductible donation. Uh, And my film is called The War of a Lion Cup. The Roar of a Lion Cub. We're going to send people to www.lion-cub.com, click on info, and then we will find a way to uh, help donate to Women Make Movies. Correct. All right, because you're now going to do what, where are you in the process? Once I have everything subtitled, I can start editing. Let me ask you this. When do you think we'll see this film? I, I hope my, my goal, and I'm really fighting hard to make this happen, is in the spring of 2016. All right. Well, so maybe we'll see this film in the spring. The film is called The War of a Lion Cup. Okay. And we hope to see it in 2016. Wonderful. And if you go to my website, there's actually a trailer if you want to get a sense of the film. All right. We're going to get a trailer. Now, when you're working on this film, which is so much uh, a part of your heart, are you able to work on other films? too? Are you doing two or three things at a time or are you just focusing on this right now? Oh, I wish I could. No, I'm doing a lot of things at the same time. You know, I'm still primarily work as a cinematographer, also partially because that's how I um, that's how I pay for the film. That's how I support my the film. My right. own film. Right. Okay, so now we're going to ask the silly question. Are you ready, Martina? Okay, ask. What exactly does a cinematographer do? 
cinematographer works very closely with the director who is you know the helm of, of any film no matter if it's narrative or, or documentary and uh, as a cinematographer you you operate the camera you decide where the camera will be in conjunction with the director of course you develop with the director like a visual approach that fits for the film and then you are in charge to actually execute it. I'm telling you, you're educating me on many, many levels today <laughs> <laughs> and I really, really appreciate it. So, um, you know how it came to be, you and I talking? Uh, Richard, right? Yes. Richard Cooperman? Yes, and he probably didn't tell you, but I'm his old girlfriend. No, he did tell me. <laughs> he did, he tell, did you? tell me, yeah. Yeah, 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 he did tell me. Oh, that's funny. And I haven't heard from him literally in, I don't know, a decade or more. Oh, really? Yeah, and I got this email about this film, and he, I guess he was supporting your Kickstarter program. Yes, and yes. I was like, Richard Cooperman who? So, <laughs> so it's wonderful to be in touch with him. You know, our meeting would actually make a great film. Did he ever tell you how we met? No. All right, I'm going to tell you, and you can just put this, you know, in the back of your mind. If I'm one day, file it away. File it away. <laughs> story. I'm working at a bookstore in the beautiful town of Cold Spring. Have you ever uh-huh. heard of Cold Spring on the Hudson? Yes. Adorable town. I'm in a little bookstore. He comes in on a Sunday afternoon. He's on a motorcycle. Oh, wow. Richard's on a motorcycle? Yeah, yeah. he had a motorcycle. So he uh, he bought a book, and then he asked me if I would hold on to the book because he didn't want to walk around town with it all day. And he says, what time do you close? And <laughs> I said, such a Richard thing to do. I know, it's such a Richard thing to do. He says, what time do you close? I said, I guess when you get back. You know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so um, he came back, he got his book, and I don't remember what happened then, but I ended up taking a ride on his motorcycle with him, and, and he was with a buddy, too. So uh, when he came into the bookstore, he was looking for a particular book of poetry. And uh-huh. I didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, uh-huh. But he kept talking about this book, and I tried to help him find it, but he didn't find it, so he bought something else. All right, I hold the book, he comes back. We ended up going for a motorcycle ride, and then I have him and his buddy back because they seem two nice Jewish boys from Queens, right? <laughs> they seem harmless. I have them back to my apartment over the flower shop. We enjoy a Sam Adams, and uh-huh. he, he gets this look on his face. The book that he was looking for in the bookstore that I was working in? Was in your bookshop. On my coffee table. Wow. On my coffee table. And it was an ancient book of poetry. Ancient, like 100 years Wow. Crazy, right? That's amazing. I guess you guys were meant to to meet. A very magical time, absolutely meant to be, because uh, I think he's he's been a very important part of my growing up. I'll put it that Uh way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what do you think? You think that could make a nice film? That's a very nice moment. <laughs> that would be a really nice... No, seriously, right? that would be a really... I mean, it's, you know, book and poetry and motorbikes and yeah. falling in love and, of course. Yeah, crazy, crazy time. Crazy time. Right. How old were you? Pardon? How old were you? How was I then? Oh, gosh, I think I was uh, in my 20s. I see. Yeah, I think I was in my 20s. And then it just goes on and on. It was one of those relationships filled with synchronicities. Just filled. He was crazy about the Brooklyn Bridge, gives me a book to read about the Brooklyn Bridge. I found out the woman who built the Brooklyn Bridge lived in Cold Spring, where I was, a block oh, away. I mean, it just went on and on for days. But, wow. you know. Martina, that's for your next film. Okay, we've got work to do right now. We have to okay. go to lion-cub.com. Click on info, right? Yeah. And women make movies and make a donation so we can make the film The Roar of a Lion Cub. Correct. All right. Anything else our listeners need to know this morning? Please check out the trailer on the web. www.lion-cub.com. lion-cub.com. 
please check out that website. Make a donation if you can. You will be helping to tell the story of these children in Mongolia, and they could use our help. Richard Cooperman? Ah, he's married now, with two lovely children living on Long Island. I'm married. Four dogs, two cats. But a reunion is planned for Rich and I. We will catch up over lunch in New York City this summer. No cameras allowed this time. This is the Health and Happiness Show with Casey on 100.7 WHUD. Find out more and listen to previous shows online at caseyradio.com. How does an award-winning Hudson Valley Hospital get even better? It teams up with the number one hospital in New York. Hudson Valley Hospital is now part of New York Presbyterian. And with our new name comes new possibilities. New York Presbyterian Hudson Valley Hospital now has expanded clinical services previously not available in the Hudson Valley and easy access to the expertise and resources of New York Presbyterian in Manhattan. Visit nyp.org slash Hudson Valley to learn more about the amazing things happening here. When every moment matters and a hand reaches out, when someone gives blood and a life is saved, that moment when heartbreak turns to hope, you're there through the American Red Cross. Every day the Red Cross responds to nearly 200 neighborhood emergencies and your support makes it possible. Use this moment to join us today. Visit redcross.org. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for tuning in today. You know I have a project called All I Need to Know I Learned on the Radio. It's a motivational presentation, and I'm delighted to be doing it for children at the Eileen Fisher Leadership Academy this summer. It takes the rules of radio, rules like smile, and keep moving forward, and it shows how they apply well to life. It also features my blooper reel of some of the more memorable times I got things wrong, The lesson, never be afraid of making a mistake. The Kabbalah says when we are humiliated, that's when we're the closest to God. There's no separation. The ego is gone. There you are, just bare naked as yourself. No false sense of pride. Howard Stern caught some of my mistakes and played them back on his serious radio show recently. It's probably his own staffers who sent in the bogus names of the people whose birthdays I celebrated with great joy and sincerity. That's the laugh. I'm actually saying lewd things, but I thought I was wishing someone a happy day. Oh well, smile, keep moving forward. Michael Arterberry is a man who knows how to keep moving forward. He came from very little, created a life as a social worker, and then created Youth Voices Center. Michael can come speak to your kids at your summer camp or school. In fact, he has a two-day workshop that helps kids learn skills around conflict resolution and how to see humanity in their fellow students. Okay, Michael Arterberry from Youth Voices Center. I am your newest fan. Tell me how you do what you do. Casey, I want to tell you a quick story that sets up my program, and I tell it when I started. It's about a farmer that owns a donkey, and this donkey is like his favorite donkey, and on a farm, he falls into a dried-up well. And when he falls falls into the well, the farmer, of course, wants to recover him, so he gets six of his friends to help him get the donkey out of the well. They try to rope him and pull him out, but they realize that he's too heavy. So because the donkey is old, they decide to bury him with dirt. So they take shovels, they put dirt into the well, and they continue to try to bury him. As they bury him, the donkey screams, he's upset. And eventually, the screams stop, so the farmer thinks he's killed his donkey. They continue to put a little more dirt in to confirm that, 
and then all of a sudden you see the donkey's ears, you see half of his body, and that donkey walks out of the well that he fell into. Now, the moral of the story is that every time that they threw dirt into the well, it fell on the donkey's back, he shook it off, and he stepped on it. The reason why I tell you that story and the reason why I start that off with my program is what I do in a two-day period is I allow young people to identify what their dirt is, and then we give them the tools and the opportunity to learn to shake their dirt so that that dirt does not become their identity, but it becomes a catalyst to push them to success. Wow. Wow. First off, that story makes me want to cry. It absolutely makes me want to cry because that is a wonderful lesson for everyone. Yes. Shake the dirt off and then stand on it and then stand on it and then stand on it until you get yourself out of the hole. And and I'll tell you this, Casey. When you said I I went from a social worker, what, what, what I learned to do, which I didn't realize it until I came across this fable, is that I was I was blessed with the ability to shake my dirt, but I used the dirt in my life to create this program. And the reason why it's so successful in the schools is because when I walk into the room, I'm 47 years old and I'm very active. I, I work out. I'm, you know, I got muscles and all that stuff. But you want to go on I, a date? No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but when I when I when I walk into these rooms, the young teenager that was hurt and broken comes out of me so these kids don't even see me as an adult in the room right they see me as a peer and it gives them a safe environment the things that i'm able to pull out in these two-day workshops would blow your mind and are the kids forthcoming i would imagine it takes a while to get say the cheerleader to warm up in front of the nerd or whatever i don't know First of all, I start off the workshop by showing them the home that I grew up in. I grew up in poverty. So to disarm them, I strip all layers. Before I even ask them one question about who they are, I bare my soul. So you, you can watch them when they look at the picture. They're already like enamored. They're like, wow. And so that in itself disarms them. But then I, I set the activities up that each one of the activities peels back a layer. But I have an activity that I do like mid-morning on the first day, and it's called concentric circles, where I have them in two different circles, an inner circle and an outer circle, and they're speaking to each other for a minute about five different subjects. And so I start with light subjects, and then the last, like the first one is someone you respect and why you respect them, but then my last one, the fifth one, is a time that you lost someone you really cared about. And then, so they, they rotate, they speak about these five different subjects, and then after each one of my activities, I do briefing and I asked them, you know, how did it feel going through it? And you won't believe that after that's done, the group shifts because when you walk into the room, you're staring at 30 different faces. Once you complete this activity, each one of those faces now become a person. And see, teenagers today, because of technology, they've taken that for granted because they speak to each other through technology and not face-to-face conversation. When you say about it gelling and, and them starting to to really peel back the layers. When we come out of that activity, some of the questions that I ask will make them become emotional. So now they're seeing the cheerleader or the big, big bang for the buck is when I get the thug, the guy that comes in with his pants drooping, Joe Tough Guy, who sheds a tear in front of these kids, Yeah, we're rolling, we're rolling. And then for the next two days, these kids are at my disposal. 
you know, and, and fortunately they're in a room with an adult that nurtures and cares for them where I take the responsibility of their openness very seriously. Power of Peace is the subject that you bring into the schools, and what is it? What's the big message you want to teach these kids? Ultimately, what I want to do is to have them reconnect with humanity. And you know what I'm saying? And what I want them to do is the way that you do that is to self-reflect, find out who you are as a person. And then once you find out who you are as a person, that gives you power, self-esteem, to now become empathetic to those that are around you. So your centers go up so that you now become selfless rather than selfish. Selfless rather than selfish. That's the ticket, Michael Arterberry. Need a motivating speaker? He's the man. Visit youthvoicescenter.org. And don't forget, check out Martina Rodwan's documentary at lion-cub.com. Kids, 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 raise them up. They are our greatest resource. Have a great week. You've been listening to The Health and Happiness Show with Casey. The content of The Health and Happiness Show is intended for general information purposes only. The Health and Happiness Show is a presentation of the New York Presbyterian Hudson Valley Hospital Center, a better place to get better. You can listen to previously broadcast shows online at caseyradio.com. Join Casey for another edition of The Health and Happiness Show next Sunday morning on 100.7 WHUD.